welcome. I am your host, Nicole Nyberg. I am a neonatal nurse practitioner and also a proud preemie mama to my son, William, who just happens to be a former 23-weeker. So if you are a current or former NICU parent, you have come to the right place. I have been exactly where you are, and I know what you're going through. We will be discussing all things related to the neonatal intensive care unit for preterm and term infants, as well as some of the emotions and struggles parents endure along the way in the NICU and beyond. So tune in and get ready to become educated and empowered. This is the Empowering NICU Parents Podcast. While I make every effort to broadcast correct and up-to-date information, medicine is constantly evolving and advancing, and I continue to learn new things each day. Every NICU baby and their journey is different, and every institution varies in their practices as well. So please, always consult your obstetrician and your infant's physician for any medical issues or concerns. I am presenting from my personal experience and knowledge. My opinions do not represent that of my employers. On today's podcast, I am joined by Dr. Jess Daigle. She is a board-certified pediatrician and neonatal and or pediatric hospitalist. Additionally, she is the proud mother of two premature infants, Liam and Avery. Her son Liam was born at 31 weeks gestation and spent five weeks in the NICU. After her family's personal experience in the NICU, she founded and is the CEO of Mom and Me, LLC, which focuses on helping both mothers and infants thrive during the postpartum journey and beyond. Dr. Jess carries out her mission by offering local, in-home, and or virtual care services to newborns with a particular focus on NICU babies. Her goal is to support the new mothers and ease their transition to home. She also offers life coaching for NICU moms to help them navigate through their NICU journey so they can become the empowered, confident mom they deserve to be. Jess and I are both very passionate about empowering NICU parents to be present and engaged while their baby is in the NICU. So we could have carried on for hours talking about this subject, but we kept it to a minimum. She speaks about how her personal NICU experience changed her professionally and addresses why it is so beneficial for parents to advocate for their infants. We also discuss the many layers of NICU trauma and why it is so important to support families during the NICU journey and beyond. We share the importance of healthcare members being present, open, and intentional during their patient interactions and how going the extra mile will leave such a lasting impression. Lastly, we close out the episode speaking about how parental empowerment can not only positively shape a family's NICU experience, but also provide better outcomes for the infant and entire family unit. You will not want to miss this episode, so sit back and get ready to be empowered. This episode of our podcast is sponsored by Dr. Brown's Medical. Dr. Brown's Medical strives to deliver valuable infant feeding products and programs to support professionals in providing positive feeding experiences for the infants in their care. Traditional feeding products and practices in the NICU are inconsistent and can result in poor feeding outcomes. 
All babies deserve positive feeding experiences for life. 100% of the top children's hospitals in the United States utilize Dr. Brown's effective feeding solutions. Dr. Brown's unique zero-resistance bottle systems, nipples with reliable flow rates, and the infant-driven feeding program are evidence-based standard of care practices that improve infant feeding outcomes. The Dr. Brown's medical team is available to provide support for you and your team to help achieve best practice results. Dr. Brown's Medical provides four free webinars every year on various infant feeding topics and offers continuing education hours for nurses, occupational therapists, and speech-language pathologists. Learn more at www.drbrownsmedical.com or find the link in the show notes. NICU moms are a unique group of strong, brave, and proud women. It is not necessarily a group that you would choose to join, but once you are a part of it, you become part of a special tribe. To honor and celebrate all of the strong NICU mamas within the NICU community, we created NICU Mama Hats. Our trucker baseball hats are multicolored and adorable. We offer two different color options and a simple leather patch that says NICU Mama. Show your pride for your brave little one and celebrate your personal strength as a NICU mama with these adorable hats. Or consider purchasing one as a gift for that strong NICU mom you know and adore. Our hats are adjustable, so one size fits all. We ship for free in the United States, plus a portion of the proceeds from each hat sale go into our foundation to help and support current NICU families. Grab your hat now at EmpoweringNICUParents.com forward slash hats. That's EmpoweringNICUParents.com forward slash H-A-T-S. Or find the link in our show notes. Now back to the episode. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us today. I'm very excited to have a very special guest with us today. Dr. Jess Daigle is joining us. So Jess, if you could just start out by telling me a little bit about yourself, your family, and what you do for work and where you live. Okay. I'm so glad to be here. I love your platform. And just the name speaks for itself, Empowering NICU Parents. So I'm Dr. Jess Daigle. I'm a board-certified pediatrician and a NICU and pediatric hospitalist. So that means I get to take care of tiny little people in the hospital, primarily. And I live in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm also the CEO and founder of Mom and Me, which is an in-home and virtual care practice in Atlanta to help families when they transition home from the hospital. I am also a mom of two kids, one of which was born prematurely. Well, both of them were born prematurely, actually, but one spent five weeks in the NICU and he was 31 weeks. And my daughter at 36 weeks, she came home right away, but I still had to deal with things like jaundice and breastfeeding, preemies and all the things. So I totally get what my NICU families go through. So I'm so happy to be a part of their journey. That's fantastic. And thank you again for sharing that with us. What are your kiddos' names? Uh, Liam just turned 10, and then Avery, she's about to be five in November. <laughs> okay, very good. Very, very uh, spunky kids. <laughs> That's good, though. You know, especially I think a lot of times when they're born premature, they just come out with a little bit of spunk and enthusiasm in them. 
So you just mentioned, obviously, that both of your kids were born prematurely and that Liam spent some time in the NICU. Just tell me a little bit more about his experience and the NICU experience. Okay. So prior to him even being born, I was on bed rest in the hospital for about nine weeks, actually, um, because prior to him, I'd had a miscarriage. And so during that miscarriage, I was told to bed rest. And you don't really like know what that means. You're just like, does that mean don't do anything or just don't walk? hundred steps or, you know, it's, it's just kind of vague. Right. And so after I had the miscarriage and I got pregnant again, I was very, very scared. I was like, okay, it was kind of like looking like that same pattern, like early labor signs, cervical changes, all the things. And so when my OB recommended bed rest, I was like, all right, you're going to need to put me in the hospital. So that was at about 22 weeks. And so for like 60, <laughs> 63 days before he was born, I was in the hospital. And so every Monday I cried because I was happy that I was still pregnant, obviously, because I knew the implications of having a micro preemie. But I also was just like afraid, like what is going to happen, right? Like, will I really go the distance? And so we had a couple of scares during that time. My OB did steroids a couple of times, which for parents who are not aware, like steroids help the baby's lung development. And so she did around right at 24 weeks. And then another round at 28 weeks. And so then we were like, okay, we, we kind of think we've done what we can in this at this point. So when I was about 31 weeks and I started having, I, I called her, I said, no, this is real. This baby is coming today. And he was born. He did acquire some surfactant, which helps their lungs also with development. And it's something we all make for those who are not medical or they're new to this journey, listening to your podcast, but we all make it in our bodies and it helps our lungs to breathe and function more properly. And so preterm infants only just start to make it right at around 20 weeks gestation. So they need, sometimes they need a little extra help. <laughs> so he got some of that and he was on the event at that time for a little bit, like maybe just a day actually. And then he came off and went right to room air. And so then for him, his journey became more about jaundice and feeding and growing. So a lot of parents in NICUs would be like, yeah, my baby's the feeder grower. That's what we mean. Like that's what they're working on, feeding and growing. And so it was very, very interesting experience being on that side of it because I was already a physician. And so I knew the medical terms, but it was still interesting hearing the medical team talk about things for like my husband's benefit. I would ask them, hey, just make it as plain as possible because he's not in medicine, you know. And so being on that side of understanding that a lot of our families also are not in medicine. So we really need to work towards making sure things are clear and at the level and education level that they can understand it, right? And my focus was so much on breastfeeding. I knew the benefits of breast milk in a preemie. You know, and I knew all the things that they were risk for necrotizing and colitis and all the stuff you worry about. So all that stuff runs through your mind. You're like hoping I hope my child doesn't have to deal with any of this, right? And so it's a double-edged sword. It's like, you're glad you know what can be ahead, but then it can just make it that much more nerve-wracking knowing what's ahead. (laughs) So um, he worked on that. Don't really remember him having too much of the apnea, bradycardia spells and things like that. So that was good. But jaundice was one of our things that we, back and forth, back and forth under lights. (laughs) So when he came home, you know, I thought, okay, okay, we're going to, going to do this. And then about a week later, I started to uh, notice more congestion after feeds. And I was like, huh. And so I talked to my pediatrician. She was like, maybe we should get like a swallow study. And so we did it and he was aspirating, which means milk going into your lungs, which I really think 
all of us probably micro aspirate actually. But for <laughs> but for him, for a preemie, that's gonna be very significant because it really has to do with the fact that their oral motor skills are still developing. And you know, I, I was kind of frustrated because I just remember being like, You were like a super preemie in the NICU, like, why now? You know? <laughs> And it was just, I felt like such a setback. So he went back on the tube, the NG tube. And that's when I first learned about dropping it myself, right? Because a lot of times in the NICU, the nurses will do it. So then I had to learn that skill. And so it just made me think about when my families bring home their preemies, they're taking on becoming like the healthcare provider for their child when they would have only typically had to be just the parent, right? And so it was a different perspective. And my husband would be like, I'm never putting that thing down. You're going to have to... (laughs) (laughs) don't look over here (laughs) Uh, so you know like just the fear of when will this be okay right and so you know you're working with speech therapy and the GI doctors and my husband was the one that was like you know what this is enough we're gonna have to trust that he's going to get it done and without all these extra repeated tests and things and so he kind of pushed me to step out on faith in that part and so he ended up doing it but I remember just asking myself will he be normal and that that's such an interesting question to ask yourself when you have a premium because now doing this I realize there's such a range of normal quote right like what really is normal but I understood the fears that the families have like will their kids walk and do all the things that you see their peers and families and friends and your family does understand why they may not be doing a certain thing at a certain time and they make comments like that like So it was just unique in that perspective, like actually having to walk through these thoughts and feelings that I normally would not have had to had I not had the experience. Right. It's interesting, actually, when you just said the word normal, it actually kind of brought tears to my eyes because I always say there is no normal and what really is normal. But I 100% agree with you that as a parent of any NICU baby, whether it's, you know, a premature one or a baby that had HIE, and mm-hmm. you may say, are they normal? But, and I know we've had to embrace it a little bit of exactly what is normal and what yeah. is normal for like my son, William, and what is normal for your son, Liam. Yeah. And I think it's important for parents to realize as long as their baby is progressing in the right direction, yes. that is their normal. I love that. And life, so many people compare. And just like you said, people compare babies. I mean, we compare things as adults, but when you're comparing baby to baby and- Ooh you know, postpartum, I remember comparing how much I was pumping to another practitioner I was working with, and I wasn't anywhere close to what she was pumping. So try to really reflect on yourself and your family and your children. And as long as you are progressing in the right direction, that is what is key because you have to embrace the fact that they may be a little bit different. They may and probably will not reach their milestones compared to other kids. So it's interesting just even you saying that, how it brought emotion to me. Yeah, And I think it's important too, we could have a whole other episode on bed (laughs) because I was on bed rest at home. And it was funny when you said, what exactly is that? Because I am upset with myself for it, but I look back on my bed rest at home and I was walking around and doing things I should not have been doing. Mm. And I think it almost probably would have been helpful if I was in the hospital because I wouldn't have done nearly the things that I did. And then also just what you touched on, having the medical background and you and I have the same perspective of the double-edged sword. I always said it was a blessing and a curse yeah. to have the knowledge that I had, but to know what could have happened to you know my son or your son while they're in the NICU, you know what could be coming. And kind of like we talked about before, trying to explain or not sugarcoat it, but in plain terms, explain that to your husband been or your family, yeah. but you don't want to scare them. But in the deep, you know, you know, deep down all the things that could happen. So exactly just a lot of yeah interesting points that you brought up. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. 
And so we'll just kind of evolve into that. So after then your son came home and you guys went through that, how has your son's experience in the NICU? And then now even once you guys were home, how has that shaped you professionally? And what has that done for your career moving forward? I've always been a pretty empathetic person, which is, I think, why pediatrics drew me. But I think it made me more aware. And I think that is what's often the barrier in healthcare in general, is that sometimes you have your education, and then you have like experience. <laughs> and so right. it's always better when the two things meet, because it's just like when we learn something in school, you can learn about chicken pox, but it's very different when you see the child come in with chicken pox, that cements something different in your mind. You can speak to it in a different way. You can understand how that parent looked and felt when they had to hear that diagnosis. And so when I see a parent have a child admitted to the NICU, I now think of the parent in a different way. Not like, okay, I just got to go through the task of telling them what is going on with their baby, what to expect. I now know psychologically and emotionally how they will feel, what they will be worried about, what I may need to address that I might not have normally said when I didn't have that experience. So I think it's just made me more aware, even more empathetic and more intentional about the encounters that I have with families. If I'm really worried, I will say that. I sometimes will have them laugh and say, if I'm not crying, I don't want you to cry yet because I do cry. I've been in this a long time. And if something's bad enough, I cry. And my husband is always yeah. like, that's not professional. I'm like, it's unprofessional not to cry because <laughs> this is life and this is people's kids mm -hmm. and this is humanism. And I think we need to embrace that more. And yes, you do have to watch. You can't let it weigh you down to the fact that it impacts your job. But I actually think it actually enhances the work that I do to be in touch with my emotions. Because I think the families want to know you're in it with them, like for real. And not just, 100%. I'm just showing up and clocking in and clocking out, right? And so I think that that's how it's impacted. Even though it's hard, I am grateful that I am on this side of being able to help them through this hardness. Because like we talked about before, I can't change the experience in that way if the baby has been born early. It's already done. But I can have a positive impact on their journey because it is a journey and they're going to get to a place that's different from this place. And hopefully it's in a better direction. Right. But we're always all moving forward. And so I want them to be able to look back and say, like in the NICU group now, I've had families share the hospitals that they had good experiences at. And it went warms my heart when they talk about the nurses that updated them and the doctors that made sure they understood their care. And I'm like, this is how it should be. This should be the expectation. It hurts my heart when they say a nurse made them feel like they needed to hurry up at the bedside or they didn't know what they were doing or judged them for being first time parents or you know, like that breaks my heart because I'm like, mm -hmm. it's already hard enough. <laughs> it's hard enough feeling like you were responsible for this, even though most of the time, if not 100% of the time, you really had no control. In my experience, I did do the bed resting the way I thought was the best. And I would even encourage you to let that go too. Like, that's why I said, what does that mean? For another person, they might have done the same thing you did and still went further in pregnancy, right? Like right. it's all relative. I laid down in hospital. I still didn't go to term, you know? And so that helped me even to let go of that guilt. Like my story was just going to be my story. And so I help families to acknowledge that as well. And I think it's important that we do that. I agree. It must be where I am. Some of the stuff you're saying, it just makes me emotional because That's yes, I think maternal guilt is huge and yes. we all have it. I think parental guilt, but there is something a little bit, and I can only speak on maternal as yeah. um, the maternal side, but I know that that's something that is very prominent 
With NICU moms, mm-hmm. I know when you get to the anniversaries of things, I run through things. I used to know dates by hand of when I had my first hospitalization yeah. and when I went into preterm labor and all those things. And some of that goes with time, but yeah. I agree. Yes. And it's funny because I will tell other moms to let it go. It's not their fault, but then, you know, here yeah. you are encouraging it to me. So I love that yeah. and appreciate that. But I also think it's important that we just acknowledge that it is a huge thing. And like you said, the vast majority of parents and mothers, there probably wasn't a thing that they could do. And you have to let that go because yeah. it is part of your healing too. And some of the stuff that we'll probably get into in a little bit, but some of the trauma, because a lot of that is healing yourself yes. and, and being able to move forward with your baby once they're home. So yes, exactly. So what are some of the topics that you enjoy educating parents or families about once they are home from the NICU? The two big things that, well, three big things that come up a lot are feeding issues, sleeping, and just even overall, like feeling confident as a parent to take care of their baby. A lot of moms will, you know, rightfully so say, well, my baby's for the most part being taken care of by the hospital. And I even have to tell them like, that's just when you're in the hospital, like that's just like if your four-year-old gets admitted for asthma, the hospital is technically taking care of them in that instance. You're still that child's parent, but they are responsible for the care in that instance. And so I always encourage them to know, like, you've always been this baby's mom. It's just that your role and, and the things you have to do just build over time, so to speak. Because it's like when they grow up and leave, you're still their mom, but they'll be driving themselves around and <laughs> paying their own bills and things. So, you know, it's just phases to parenting. So I just encourage them to change their perspective around that, that you are their parent just by the mere fact that they came from you. And then you increase those responsibilities as times go, right? So we've talked about that kind of stuff and just even really empowering them to be the advocate for their baby. Because a lot of the babies, depending on if they have complex medical care or require it, they're going to a lot of different visits. And that can be so overwhelming. I was talking with a dad. He just saying he loved my platform because he had a 22-weeker. And when they came home, she was like on 12-plus medications and the vent and feeding tube. And all of that was just like, what is going on, right? And so you need to empower families just to take it just like any other task, like step by step. Have like an organized system for yourself, like a little binder of systems even, because, you know, we love systems in the NICU or any ICU setting. Yes. Respiratory, GI, cardiology. And NICU parents are probably some of the best organized folks, I'm just saying. Because you have a lot of stuff you have to organize and keep together. (laughs) Right. Out of necessity. Yes. 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 So just say, you know what? I'm going to get it done. I think sometimes we spend so much time judging ourselves for what has been instead of saying, okay, how can I move forward? What am I able to do? Right. And so I always say focus on what you can, not what you couldn't do, because we have so much more power than we give ourselves credit for. Our brain just tries to protect us. So we get so bogged down and all of that. So really empowering them to advocate for their patients. We talked through that. We talked through being systematized in their visits, trying to coordinate the care as much as they can. Luckily, some places are a lot more sympathetic to that kind of stuff, depending on the hospital systems and pediatricians. A lot of times they'll try to coordinate with specialists. So, okay, well, we're going to the cardiologist day. Let's see if other specialists can see the child in that same window, especially if parents have to travel far away. So it's really just about the empowering them that they can care for their baby and show them practical ways to do that. Great. Yes. And I know too, you mentioned you're also very passionate about breastfeeding and supporting them through that as well, correct? Yes, I am. And like I told you, like we don't really traditionally learn how to help a family breastfeed in training. 
Now, that may be different now, but definitely when I was in training, it was. It was just more like, these are the benefits. This is why you should do it. But not like the barriers that a family may face, like when you have a baby in the NICU. And so I personally have just taken on following the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine's recommendations. And I even will talk with families and like other NICUs and my neonatologist friends and just seeing, are there units kind of following some of that? Like if the mom wants to breastfeed, I know in the level two NICU I worked at, I was very instrumental. And soon as a baby was ready to feed that way, I was getting them on the breast, even if it was five, 10 minutes. And then I know, yes, you do have to follow up that babies do still require supplementation, but there are protocols out there on how to help a family breastfeed an icky baby with taking into account the calories they need and growth. It's just that we just have to be more intentional in medicine to recognize these things and do our part to say, let's implement newer standards of care, research and things to help families be successful. Because, you know, parents, and even when you don't have a baby in the NICU, just moms in general, like, because, you know, I work in a newborn nursery too. Like, you know, your babies only have two things they got to do. Like, well, a couple of things, like eat, sleep, pee and poop. Right. <laughs> And you feel like if they're like not doing anything in these areas, you feel like a fairy. You're like, they don't even have to do much. Maybe just eat right, you know? <laughs> That's kind of how you feel. And so if a baby doesn't feed well, a mom internalizes that. She's thinking she's a failure because her baby is not doing X, Y, Z. This is the same thing we just talked about with development. They internalize that, okay, my baby's not doing this with other people. So there must be something wrong with me. So definitely a lot of the mental aspect needs to be addressed. And that's that trauma we talked about with having a baby and a NICU is layers to this thing. And I think that that's what pediatricians and OBs and everybody who works in this field needs to really understand when a family has a baby in the NICU, this is not just a a moment in time. This is like moments that keep adding up. (laughs) It is. And when you and I spoke before, we discussed just that is that a lot of times there's an assumption that if the baby's home from the NICU, that the, the baby's okay, right? Yeah you should be happy. And, you know, it doesn't negate the NICU experience and the trauma that those parents went through. And I think it's important to just acknowledge that out loud. And like I said, I know you and I had a great discussion prior to this recording. So I just wanted to mention that because just like you said, the way you explained it is phenomenal. There's so many layers that go into it. And just even moms that were on bed rest or they had a traumatic delivery and then put the NICU time on top of that, or even if there wasn't a NICU time, the mom that had a traumatic delivery, that sticks with her. It doesn't just go away because her baby's healthy. Yeah, and we need to do more to do the acknowledgement and putting them in contact with the resources and education and, and just letting them know that that even is going to be a journey of healing. It's a grief. I never really had thought about it, but a NICU mom is grieving too. Oh, absolutely. Because the comparison thing, like they say, comparison is a thief of joy. And I always tell people comparison is natural. It's like how we know anything, right? Like there are some standards and some common things. And so comparison helps you to know like, okay, something may be wrong if this or this is not happening. But at the same time, you have to just know what's within your realm of, like you say, your journey and say, okay, this may not be typical compared to somebody else, but it's actually okay in where I am in my journey. And so the grief piece is like that too. Because of that, you expect to have her baby because that's what everybody hopes for. It is what's technically best. You don't want to have a baby early. 
as much as I love the work that I do, I do know that it brings hardship on families and it, there's the layers we talk about. So I wouldn't wish that on anybody. And so then they are dealing with that grief of that loss of what they hoped for, even if it wasn't in comparison to someone else, but just their own expectations and standards. <laughs> so Absolutely. we just have to learn to see people through that and give them some support. And I've had moms in the NICU moms group that I always reference say they just wish even when their baby was admitted to NICU that someone connected them right away with a counselor. Sometimes people be like, why didn't you just go look for help? You're in a haze. (laughs) I mean, like even when I look back, I'm trying to remember all the details of every day when my son was in the NICU. Like I remember pumping and visiting and holding him. But even some of my thoughts and feelings at that time, I'm trying to remember like the exact feelings, you know, and I remember more of them when he came home because of the whole feeding tube issue, like that lingered more. But depending on how your experience is, your thoughts and feelings will vary too. It's just so much that people need to understand it. And education is key. So I, I make a lot of videos to try to teach family members of people in the NICU how to support them because I believe that most people want to do the right thing. But like we talked about before, people are uncomfortable with negative emotions or just sadness or just when things are just not laid out perfectly. You know, we want to hurry up and rush people through because it makes us uncomfortable seeing them sad. And, And obviously nobody wants anybody to be sad and grieving, but that is a part of life. And so when we don't support people, then we make them feel like something's wrong with them, that they're not over it already. Then that just keeps that negative cycle going, actually. And they never see a way out, you know, by not right. being validated. Yes. And just as you mentioned, we had spoken before about it, but I think acknowledgement, just even if you're a family member of a NICU parent who whether or not you think they're struggling, just acknowledge that the time that they had in the NICU. And even once they're home from the NICU is difficult and you may not always know what to say, but it's just checking in with them and asking. And and then to go back to, I personally and professionally think that there should be counselors or psychologists or therapists that round on NICU families. Mm. And that's brilliant. I always say too, each week there was a chaplain that would check on me and I would just, I didn't want to talk about me or my emotions. So I would say, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> but I always say, once you get comfortable with yeah. somebody and maybe the repetitiveness, yes. if somebody would have checked in with me every week, probably by week five or six, I would have started opening up a little yeah. bit more. And then just for them to have somebody to fully, because I think a lot of families or couples, they keep a lot of their emotions even from each other. I don't think that even a lot of couples share because they're not feeling the same. They're not dealing with it the same. And there's afraid of judgment. And so I really feel like even couples aren't openly talking about it. So as long as I think everybody should have somebody to talk to. So I love that. I know some NICUs are starting to do that, but I think it's something that needs to just be all around the standard. I agree. And I love that you said that about (laughs) the couples thing, because like now that my husband has seen me more out loud about in my platform and stuff, he's kind of started sharing a little bit more too. And then I'm like, you had thought that way, you know, it's just interesting, right? But he definitely spoke up more about like my miscarriage, like, cause he, I ended up like having the baby in the hospital bed by myself with like he and I, and then the nurse is not there. And like I told him, even though I understand being on the other side of it, like how there could be like three or four deliveries happening at the same time and not excusing it, just sometimes it's the reality, unfortunately, health. But right. that, that stuck in his mind. Like, where were people? Why was no one here to 
help us through this journey. I was no one like there during this time. And, but like, just like that, I have the positive emotion. So after that, I had gotten pictures, you know, they'll give you pictures, like a little box and things Mm -hmm. uh, from like to have memories. And I remember like crying over the pictures. And at that time it was like those Polaroid kind of like photos. And so it was like running and I was so devastated. Like I contacted the hospital and I was like, are you able to get those pictures again? I cried over my pictures. I messed them up. And I was so appreciative to the nurse who reprinted pictures for me to have. And I still have those pictures in that box. And so just like how she was willing to go that extra mile and how I remember that, that's how NICU families are too with that nurse or that doctor or that social worker that went that extra mile. And sometimes people don't realize the extra mile doesn't necessarily have to require a lot of time. It's the intention that they know that you wanted to help them and were trying to help them. That's what they remember. Right. Yes. And I appreciate you spotlighting that because we, I had um, a couple of losses as well. And as I had told you previously, there was a nurse that I actually had when I had William. And then she actually came in um, right after I had one of my losses as well. And I mean, the things that she did, and they're, they were very, very simple, basic things. But I just want everybody to know that again, it's our day-to-day job when we're at Mm -hmm. work, but those very simple, empathetic things that people can do to go, it's not even going out of your way, but when you're a patient, those are the things that you remember. And they really can make a difference, especially whether you're having a loss or whether you have a baby in the NICU or whether it's your labor experience, whatever it is, it hugely impactful. So don't ever negate that because I can tell you that families will remember you and they will appreciate it because in a really, really hard time, I had some positive things that I can remember from the those things just as you had mentioned as well. Yes, for those listening, definitely. And the reason I pointed out is because sometimes people don't feel like they have time to do all these elaborate things. And so, yes, there's a lot going on in the healthcare environment, and especially in a place like labor delivery, is almost like an emergency room for babies and moms. <laughs> it's that chaotic sometimes. But it's still, I'm always just very intentional about it. And when I show up to work, Again, it's just that awareness. I think if it's in your mind, you'll do it. It's like whenever I was in medical school, they say, if you don't think of the diagnosis, you won't consider it, right? That differential diagnosis. So it's the same way if you just keep in your mind, hey, when I show up to work today, somebody's going to be dealing with something difficult. Somebody's going to X, Y, and Z. I'm going to just make it in my intention to recognize it. And then you'll find over time, it becomes like a, a natural part of you, actually. Right, right. And it's just part of that talked about just trauma informed care Mm -hmm. and just really being open and allowing families to see that and kind of what you spoke about earlier, just your emotions. That's important for families. And I know I had moments in the NICU where I don't like to use the word crazy, but we'll say that I was just, I was having NICUitis. Like, no, you just become a little or a lot irrational. And just to even have a nurse or somebody talk to you or, you know, put their arm on you. Like I said, you remember little things, but William got transported and the nurse handed me tissues as he, they were getting ready to take him away. She's like, you're going to need these. And I was just like, what are you talking about? And then sure enough, he rolled away and I lost him. And I will never forget, Cindy, thank you for that. But just yes. there's little things like that. Like I said, it doesn't have to take a ton of time, but it just being there exactly. and present and families really Yeah, And they appreciate that. honesty. What I've come to love is sometimes I would have parents laugh before I had kids. They'd be like, I have five kids. I'd be like, well, you probably can tell me what to do, actually. And, you know, they love that kind of stuff because mm-hmm. you're acknowledging that. Yeah. They do have some experience that you may not have. And I think sometimes we get uncomfortable and almost egotistical thinking that we are supposed to have all the answers just because we've gotten certain education and training. And it's not necessarily true. I have no problem telling somebody if I have never seen something or never experienced something, I'm like, 
My extend is the textbook. You probably know more than me right now because, <laughs> but I'm willing to talk to a colleague of mine or research it or whatever. And I think patients value that honesty because you're not just trying to be fluffed up like you have to have all the answers. No, they know you don't have all the answers, but you can say that like, I've not been in this situation, but I'm here to listen if you want to talk to me. Because a lot of the people working in NICU may not have had a NICU baby and probably never will, but it doesn't mean that they can't tap into their humanism about it. And that's where I think that we need to work more on. Yes. Yeah, I like that. Just being honest and real. I think people just want real conversations and real moments. So if you could summarize for our NICU families, what are some things that you would like them to know, whether they're in the NICU or whether they're getting ready to go home? What are some of the prominent things that you feel like families should be aware of? The biggest thing is that you have a right to advocate for yourself and your baby. The healthcare space, like I said, is moving. People are moving fast and it's not an excuse. It's just a kind of a reality. And while I think a lot of units are working towards family-centered care, we're not 100% there. So one of my key messages to anyone when they have a child, whether they're in the NICU or not, and even just as a person, you have a right to advocate for yourself. You have a right to understand everything going on with your child because you are their parent. And so don't be afraid to say, hey, I don't understand that term, or hey, what does it mean, this plan, or hey, I read this. I don't understand why we're not doing X, Y, and Z. And I know sometimes people are scared because sometimes some of us in medicine can be a little bit abrasive and feel challenged if a parent asks questions, which I think that train of thought should change just 100%. (laughs) I think that doctors and nurses should not feel affronted when a family has a question. They should be like, you know what? This is cool. This family wants to know what's going on and understand. And so that's what I would say, because I love it in a group when a mom says, I felt like they did X, Y, Z, and I raised my hand and spoke up. I love that. I'm like, hey, because I would do it too. If it's my child in the NICU, I had questions or I wanted to know something. I didn't feel any type of way about it. And that sets the tone for how you'll be as a mom. It's just like if they're at school and you think something happened at school, you're going to show up to the school like, hey, what happened here? (laughs) Yes, ma'am. Hey, my child said X, Y, and Z, so I need to know X, Y, and Z. So start that early. Know that that is your right. It's not something that you should have to ask for. And while some people may be more forthcoming with their education and explanations, because again, awareness, some people are more intentional about it. It doesn't mean that if they're not, you just say, hey, well, you know what? I haven't gotten updated on the plan. Let me see if anything's changed. That's the biggest thing, because then I think that leads to everything else. The other thing is to recognize that this is a journey. So just like when you may be taking a trip to Florida and you might live in California, there's a roadmap of getting there, but there can be detours. You may have to make some stops. You may have to say, you know what, I'm tired, I need to rest. Or, hey, I feel really good, I'm going to go a long stretch. Acknowledge all of those moments on that trip. Don't judge yourself if you had to end up taking a detour or you had to make a stop or rest. And I say this because a lot of families will feel guilty that they didn't visit the baby every day or they have to return back to work or they have other kids that are at home that need them. This motherhood thing in general is just not easy in that way. And I spend a lot of time telling people some things just are. This just will be because you wasn't even expecting this experience. So in light of that, how can I empower myself to do the best I can on this journey, on this trip? And so if we shift the focus to that, then you feel more empowered and you will take more intentional steps in what you do. So if you have to visit Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, cool. 
let the nurses know, hey, I have to work on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. So I'm going to be there Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I'm going to visit from nine to one. If you need to reach me, you take charge of that. You be empowered to say, this is how I would like to be contacted. You know, you have a right to have these discussions, whether you want to breastfeed, whether you want formula, if you want to be notified before they give something. This is a journey. Give yourself grace on that journey and be more curious about yourself and your baby and, and lead with that. And I think it'll give you the best experience that is possible for you because no one can say what your journey will look like. But I do think we have more power than we recognize. I encourage families to tap into that. I a thousand percent agree. And obviously I am a huge proponent of empowering parents and think that it's key to the baby success, the family unit success. And you and I had talked about previously, just like, you know, I want parents to be there as much as they can, mm -hmm. depending on what's going on with their life, but, and not only be present, but be engaged yes. with their baby. And just as you said, with the plan of care, and I think it's important, you know, a lot of NICU teams will do big rounds or team rounds, mm -hmm. even if you're not comfortable speaking up in front of rounds with your questions, you can either speak with your nurse prior or even say to the physician or the NNP, do you mind coming circling back around when you're done? I have a few other questions. Yes. And if that's what works for you, then that's what you need to do. But do not be afraid to ask questions. I know a lot of people are not familiar with the NICU, yes. and so they are afraid of looking like they don't know what they're talking about, which is, you're not supposed to, by the way. I mean, nobody is supposed to be an expert in the NICU except for the people that work there. That's so true. your questions are not silly. I just feel like if you have questions, ask, because just like Jess said, I strongly, strongly believe in parents being involved in understanding what's going on in the day-to-day -day happenings with their baby. Yeah, the more knowledgeable you are in the NICU, the more knowledgeable you are in preparation for discharge with your baby's condition. And then just as Jess was talking about, then it just helps with home. And if you have a medically complex child, you'll already have the practice while you're in the NICU going home, which I just makes that. the home transition that much easier. And think about it, because a lot of moms live in that regret, like I wish I would have asked, well, ask, go ahead, because right. then that just does something for you mentally, like <laughs> I'm taking charge of this thing. I'm getting it done, you know? And like, that makes you feel good inside that despite what's going on, you're showing up how you intend to for yourself and your baby. And that's just mentally puts positive endorphins in your body. It right. makes you like, feel like you can take on the challenges because otherwise, what else is there? Like, we all are going to deal with some things in our lives. And so it's either just lay down or it's like, you know what? I'm going to take this by the reins as much as I can and get it done. And there will be days, like there are some days now, my kids are 10 and 4. I have a moment where I'll just melt down and cry. Like, and I just be like, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't even judge myself for those moments anymore. See, I used to be like, why did, now, why did you do that? Like, what, what is, like, come on. No, now I'm just like, well, that felt good. I needed that good shower cry. <laughs> now let me go get my Starbucks and get on with it, you know? And, and I love that about myself, that I'm authentic in my feelings and my emotions. And so I think if we empower people to be authentic in where they are, that's when you can get to the place you want to be because you're, you're just being real like, this is rough. I'm, I don't like this where I am. So then you'll start asking yourself, well, how can I get to where I want to be? How can I help my child? Okay, well, I'm going to advocate for these therapies or, okay, now that's going to empower me to connect with other NICU moms. Oh, now I'm learning more resources that are out there. See the difference versus if you're just like, oh, and then now you don't open yourself up to the other possibilities that are out there for you. And so the last thing I would say is, as big of an experience as having a baby in the NICU is, it does not have to define the rest of your life. 
if you're going to let it define you, push it in the most positive way it can, kind of like how you and I are doing. Like (laughs) we're making platforms about this because it's like we want to help other people. So let it help you help yourself and your child and other people that's connected to you. And then you'll find purpose in your pain, so to speak. I love that because it's one of the things that I always say. I now, you know, I'm nine, basically nine years out Mm -hmm. from William coming home from the NICU. And it's one of those things I sometimes actually now refer to as a blessing. And again, I can say that because I'm nine years out and he's healthy and he's amazing. He's the biggest gift in my life. Yes, me too. Doesn't mean it wasn't difficult, but I also know, I feel like that that was part of my purpose. It's now my passion to be able to then go back and help other NICU families. And just like you, having the medical background and then a NICU baby on top of it, it just puts you in a special place. And I just felt like I was meant then to share what I know. And I think it's why you and I connected so well, because I think we feel exactly (laughs) the same way. So... Yes, we do. Because right, we know this is going to happen. That's why, you know, this is NICU Awareness Month for those who are listening. And on my video, I said, we, someone today, someone's baby is going to be admitted to the NICU. And sometimes we're afraid to say that kind of stuff because you don't want to look at it like you're being negative. But I think by not acknowledging some things that are just reality, we do people a disservice, actually. Right. Instead of saying, because we know this is going to happen, then how can we better support people in this space because we know it's going to happen because we haven't figured out all of the medical ways of how to stop prematurity. That's still a lot of research undergoing. But in this reality, how can we still support people? And so that's how people like you and I and other people connected to us can can help families. Yes. So thank you so much, Jess. I really genuinely appreciate you chatting with me. I know it's super early where you're at, but I have enjoyed (laughs) every minute of it and even our chat prior. So if you don't mind sharing with our listeners, just where they can get in contact with you and I know your platform and then on Instagram, if you just want to share your um, handles and information, that would be great. Okay. Yeah. So they can follow me on Instagram at mom and me underscore MD. And then on there, I have a link tree. So that if they were like life coaching, like for NICU moms, which is designed to help them move forward in the what now, you know, sometimes when they come home and, and they're trying to figure out how to move forward as a mom and be empowered. We work through that so they can click that link if they're interested and we can talk if my program will help them. And then also just even like a postpartum consultation, they're just like, I don't know what's going on. My baby's in the NICU. I just need help processing and talking through like the steps. I have a link there for that. And then if they're local in Atlanta, then we can work together actually where I can come and do three months of care after their baby comes home from the hospital where they can just have more focused in-home exams and even like education and support around their baby. Um, I have a family that just signed up who's going to have some twins. So I'm excited about that. So I just love like taking care of people, (laughs) especially moms and babies. And just for one less mom and family that feels less alone makes me feel like I'm doing what I'm meant to do. I love it. Thank you so much. And thank you so much again, uh, Jess, for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much to Dr. Jess Daigle for joining me on this podcast episode. Jess and I had so much to chat about and our passion for parental engagement and empowerment in the NICU are completely aligned. I really appreciate Jess offering concrete ideas on how parents can advocate for their baby while they're in the NICU and once they are home. Empowerment and advocacy will look different for each family, but just know that you as the parent are an integral member of your baby's care team. Although you may feel as though the staff is caring for your baby, 
you are still very much needed. You are the therapy for your baby. So do not let this time go by and regret that you did not ask enough questions or bring up your concerns. By taking the lead, as Dr. Jess said, you will feel more empowered, which will also improve your mental and emotional state during a very difficult time. For our healthcare members who are listening, please do not underestimate the small, empathetic gestures you can offer your patients and their families. As you heard from Jess, and I can tell you from personal experience, that they do make a remarkable and unforgettable difference. Additionally, take a moment each day you go into work and reflect on your purpose and intention. Lead with love, be authentic, openly connect, and show your patients and families that you care. I promise you, by doing so, you will help them feel at ease and they will not forget you and how you made them feel. For our show notes and links mentioned in the episode, head to empoweringnicuparents.com forward slash episode 52. And as always, please consider sharing this episode with someone who will gain some value from it. Until next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Empowering NICU Parents podcast and have an amazing day. Remember, once empowered with knowledge, you have the ability to change the course. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Empowering NICU Parents podcast. For the show notes and any links mentioned in the episode, head to empoweringnicuparents.com. I would love to hear more from you on the topics you want to hear. So make sure you let me know in the comments section. Please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode and consider leaving a rating. Five stars would be awesome so we can help other NICU families. Remember, if you have any questions or concerns with your NICU baby, please consult their medical care team. Until next time, friends. Bye.